I'll try not to be too long-winded here because all the other guys we talked about, the first four guys, I'm like, I got my question marks about. Darnell Wright I love. I have no question marks about <laughs> okay. Darnell Wright. And... and- Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, March the 31st. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We are also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network, and I am joined as always by producer JT. JT, how are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. I am fantastic because you are no longer without internet. You were back in your uh, home studio. Dare you tell me there's not a god. It, it, now, uh, it now sounds like we are both professionals and it's not just me being the professional one and you just like calling into the show every day. So that's pretty it cool. Is, that's that's, cool. that's fun. I know. Um, and, and you know what's funny is I don't even have my internet fixed all the way yet. The people who make my router, who I won't name, Netgear, uh, decided that after seven hours of phone calls, like we mentioned on Wednesday's show, which you should have listened to, Already, um, welcome in everybody, by the way, if I didn't welcome everyone in already, hope you've had a great week, um, just to update you, because I know you've been waiting with bated breath to find out where is Easton on the internet issue. They decided the router's broken, and they're sending me a new one that will be here, you're listening on Friday, it's going to be here on Friday, we're recording on Thursday night, um, so that's cool, thanks for the new router, hope the new one doesn't break like the old one did, but also I think I fixed the old one, because right now I'm doing this show on the old one. And I think I fixed it on my own, um, but it keeps going in and out. So fingers crossed, I maintain my internet connection throughout this show. We don't have a ton to talk about today, JT, but we do have a couple of things very interesting to cover with you and I. And then um, we'll announce this on on Twitter. So if, you know, by the time you're listening to this, it's it's not important to you. But we're doing this Thursday night. Um, the inter- interview later in the show that will be the bulk of the show today that I'm super excited about is going to be Friday morning. So that's why this show wasn't out first thing Friday morning. I'm recording that interview early Friday morning and the show came out around 10 o'clock. And that's why it is with a, a good friend of mine and uh, a, a, a peer in the sports media space, Ryan Shumpert. He works over, uh, he's worked for a couple of different companies covering the Tennessee Vols. And I figured, listen, the volunteers have got five really big prospects in this draft class. I know, listen, I, I know that there is a contingency of our fan base that, or a fa- fan base is a strong word, listenership to this show. Um, friends of the show. We, we don't have, we're not, we don't have fans. Okay. We're just people um, that really don't like when Nashville or Tennessee media pander to the Tennessee crowd when, when you're covering the NFL. And I get that. I totally get it. I grew up a Vandy fan. So I'm not the person that is going to bring up or talk about Tennessee football, basketball, anything more than is necessary. That being said, as somebody that has at this point in my life, I'm pretty SEC agnostic. My order of operations for rooting is like I root for Vanderbilt, but then I'll root for the Tennessee teams and then I'll root for the SEC, generally speaking. And I like to root against Alabama because who doesn't, who's not an Alabama fan. Right. So that's kind of, but I really, I just like to watch good football in college. I, I don't have a great rooting interest. I think it's totally fair for us to focus on Tennessee for two reasons. JT one, like I said, they've got five guys that are going to be maybe day one and two players. I mean, between Hendon hooker, Darnell, Wright, You got Tillman and um, Hyatt, the receiver receiver pair that both will go at imagine before day two is up. 
And then you have Byron Young, the edge rusher, who is probably a third, fourth, fifth round guy. Those are all really interesting prospects. And whether or not you like Tennessee, they're people that I think you should, I mean, four of those guys are offensive players and really good offensive players that I think are going to be good pros. So we're going to pay attention to them. And what better day to do that than the day after the volunteers had their pro day. Mike Vrabel was at that pro day on Thursday. Got to see the receivers and uh, well, got to see all of them, I'd imagine. But I figured it'd be a great time to bring in Ryan Shumpert, who covers the volunteers, just so I can make sure I credit this properly. He covers the volunteers now for Rocky Top Insider. Used to cover them for the U UK Daily Beacon. Very familiar with all things Tennessee sports. And uh, we went to high school together. So I figured I'd hit him up and bring him on the show. And we talk a little bit about those five prospects. And so that's what we're doing later in the show. That's the bulk of today's show is covering all the guys. And I'd imagine the majority of our listenership is a Tennessee fan. So bonus for you. You get to listen to Titans and Tennessee volunteer football talk. Uh, before that, though, JT, we've got a couple of things to cover here. First of all, we got to get to the warm up today, which um, for me was a no brainer. This was something that if you follow me on Twitter, you know, that this was something that I was talking about earlier this week. And JT, once I finish laying out my case, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this and maybe we can discuss it a little bit, but it's a revolving around the topic of Kyle Phillips, Titans receiver. You probably know him. If you follow the Titans drafted last year in the fifth round out of UCLA, a lot of hype in the preseason, a lot of hype in camp, a lot of hype coming into the regular season in his first game. Played very, very well, showed a lot of promise, and then injury issues plagued him for the rest of the season. I'm still very excited about Kyle Phillips. I drank the Kool-Aid on him in, in camp last year when I got to see him in person. He was one of the first people when I got to camp last year in August that caught my attention, and it was every single day that I was there, he was doing something worthy of attention. The hype around him is not manufactured, okay? It is... It is genuine he has earned that hype based on what those of us in the media have seen with our own two eyes he is capable of doing on a football field that being said i can understand why and i i think i thought apparently maybe i may be a little bit wrong on this jt but i thought that the the public temperature on kyle phillips right now amongst titans fans was kind of cool to chilly i i didn't think that people were uh, all i've been seeing in the off season and at the end of the regular season last year is a lot of sarcastic remarks about how Kyle Phillips can't get healthy. He's too small to stay healthy. He is, um, you know, he's a guy that we should never have drank the Kool-Aid on. The hype was manufactured. He's another, he's another Mace, uh, Mason Kinsey. He's a, he's another NWI. Like he, he's a guy that people are going to get excited about for no reason. He's never going to pan out. I could not disagree anymore. Now, if you've been on Twitter at all in the past two weeks, you've seen it's become very trendy. And this pops up like every couple of years. People post these pictures. What opinion about X do you have that would make everybody hate you or put you in a position like this? And it's a it's the picture from Tangled where everybody's got their swords up to the throat of the, the main guy. Right. That's very popular right now on Twitter and in the sports world, at least. And so I, I took one of those and I retweeted it, quote tweeted it. And I, I said, Kyle Phillips will be a starting wide receiver for the Titans this year, and Titans fans are going to grow to love him. Now, the majority of responses were positive to that. 
um, which I was surprised about. Apparently, that's not as hot a take as I thought it was, which good. I'm glad that people aren't totally giving up on Kyle Phillips after one year of him playing for the Titans and dealing with injuries that we know in the NFL injuries come and they go. And sometimes you get unlucky with them. I don't think one year of injury problems for a guy who didn't have a long history of injury problems in college is reason to believe he's injury prone. If anything, that's an incomplete sample size, right? But what specifically about Kyle Phillips that I'd like to talk about is this, this quote unquote punt muffing debacle that people refer to in, in, a number of different ways online, but the, the, the perception of him, I guess seems to be according to many that he's a bum because he is a horrible punt returner. And I just, I, I don't understand why this has gotten to this point. The, the tweet that I, I made this thought around made this thought revolve around is from a guy named CT at cat Nash 007. Now I'm not calling out CT, he follows me. He is one of many, many, many folks who I've seen espouse this opinion. So I am not singling him out at all. But his tweet was the example that I took to point out that I've seen these countless references to Kyle Phillips punt return debacle last year. And I think it's just become completely warped in people's minds because it's the last memory that they have of him as a returner. So I went and I dug up his Full NFL history of punt return duty. Now, that's not a long history. It's three preseason games and two regular season games. And here's here's the full list. Now, these, these first couple are all from preseason. I'll let you know when we get to the regular season. But I'm going to list you out the result from every single time Kyle Phillips lined up to receive a punt in the five games that we saw him do so last season. 13-yard return, three-yard return. 27-yard return, 15-yard return, 35-yard return, fair catch, fair catch, 10-yard return, 7-yard return, fair catch, 18-yard return. Very, very good, right? And that's that's the end of the preseason. Now into the regular season, 46-yard return against the Giants to open up his regular season debut, 5-yard return, fair catch, fair catch, 11-yard return, muffed punt, muffed punt. Now that's that is his whole NFL career as a punt returner. His season ended as a returner because of those back-to-back drops in different games, mind you. One came at the end of the Giants game and one came at the, uh, well, it wasn't the beginning of the Bills game in week two. It was after halftime of the Bills game in week two because if you remember that that first half, I don't think the Bills punted once. Um, But both of those muffs, it's important to note, dropping those two punts cost the Titans all of three opponent points. So it's not like he was the the straw that broke the Titans camel back in these games. He was not the reason that they lost these games. In fact, in the Giants game, if you remember, he was the only reason you had a chance to win that game because he practically single-handedly marched the Titans down in that two-minute drill with Ryan Tannehill passing him the ball, making some spectacular catches, one of which was the catch out of bounds where he got tackled onto his shoulder, which is a fluky way to get tackled. And he developed the first of his major injuries during the season. And that's one of the reasons why you didn't see him a whole lot after that week one. But he was the reason why he made the final catch that got them into field goal range just for former Titan Randy Bullock to miss from, I think, 44 yards or something like that. It's important to note that Phillips never got another chance 
last season to return punts or do much of anything else because of those injuries. Now we know he was pulled off of punt return duty in the bills game. I'd imagine because the last two times he tried to catch a punt, he muffed them, but then he never got another chance to do that as the coaches and Kyle himself alluded to later in the season. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm during the week, I'm catching a lot of punts, you know, in practice, I'm catching them off the jugs machine. I'm really working on it. Like he was, it sounded like planning and preparing to come back as the Titans punt returner, because if I need to read you off some of these returns in just five games, he had a 15, 27, 35, 18 and 46 yard return, just to name a couple of them. That's some serious juice. So I guess just in conclusion here, we, we don't, we don't know what he could have been last year because of injuries. His all time NFL punt reception record is 16 catches and two drops. That's far from a debacle in my eyes. I think that's really blowing it out of proportion. I think the group think echo chambery element of the internet and, and fan bases has kind of blown this out of proportion. If anything, like I said earlier, that's just an incomplete sample size to me. Phillips is a very good punt returner. As long as he can catch the ball, which we don't have evidence in, in a big enough sample, like I said, to determine he can or cannot reliably catch the ball. But it's important to note and, and not take away from the fact that he gave the Titans the first juice they've had at the return at any return position, kick or punt returner since Mark Mariani, who I'm barely old enough to remember as a Titan in the first place back in 2010. Well, not barely old enough to remember, I guess barely old enough to have cared. Um, but it, it, back in 2010 and 2011, and then to a lesser extent, when the Titans brought him back in 2016, like that was the last guy that gave you any juice at this position. It's been one of the things that Titans fans for the vast majority of my life have been complaining about and wanting more from. And I just don't understand why folks seem so eager to dismiss a guy like Kyle Phillips, who clearly brings you that juice that you've been looking for, had a bit of a muffing problem at the end of his time as a punt returner last year. Injuries kept him from getting another try and increasing that positive sample size. I just don't, JT, doesn't it seem kind of backwards to finally get a guy that brings you so much juice, but then dismiss him out of hand after only 18 attempts to catch a punt when he did some really great things, but he dropped a couple? That just seems really backwards to me. I mean, yeah, it, it does if you consider the other options. Like, I think Kyle Phillips is your Robert best option. Wood. Did you like Robert no, Woods back there catching punts? Did you like, did you Who like that? CJ, would people rather have CJ board back there? catching punts cj board <laughs> returned 14 punts last year for an average of like 10 and a half yards i think his longest right here i have it his longest was 19 yards so like it, yeah, kyle if, phillips had in in like five games i think he had four or five punt returns longer than than that so so it, it's like you can have this guy who has a little bit of pop to his game in the punt return and he probably ironed him out and you have a guy who's going to come back this year and most likely be a serviceable wide receiver three to whoever they draft. Oh, I think he will behind be. yeah. Traylon Burks. Like he, he just doesn't deserve that hate. And no. he's better than any other option because 
the things I see on Twitter is that everybody complains. And then like, it, it just feels like no one's ever going to be happy because like, if you don't want well, him, who do you want? CJ board? Yep. Like it, it doesn't matter. It. Like that, that, he's some the best people, opportunity. There's always an get. element of, of every fan base, right. That is determined to remain unhappy. So maybe that's just what it is. But I think the moral of the story here really is give, give my, my, my man, Kyle Phillips, a chance here, get off his back. Get, just let's calm down for a second and realize that, this this whole punt return debacle. I mean, the number of times every time last year that I ever mentioned Kyle Phillips after that that second game in Buffalo, I, every single I could tweet anything about anything regarding the Titans, and if it included Kyle Phillips in the tweet, then there was going to be a comment or two or ten talking about, well, if only he could know it, figure out how to catch a punt. Man, that you're what? Yeah, he dropped two out of eighteen. And the the other 16 were kind of electric. Like, what, what do you do? You want a, a guy with juice at the return position or not? So I guess that's the moral of the story. Hop off his back. Give, give him a chance. I think Titans fans, I'm pretty confident Titans fans are going to grow to love Kyle Phillips. All right, let's get into uh, uh, just three or four things in our free agency roundup today before we get to the interview with my man, Ryan. JT, if you wouldn't mind walking us through a couple of these things, and I've just got a couple of thoughts and then we'll move on. Yeah, let's start off here with something that kind of came out. It was it was it was pushed down an article that I think I believe Jim Wyatt wrote this article. Yes, it was. And I think it was on TennesseeTitans.com. Uh -huh. It kind of mentioned about M W M N W I Mick uh, Westbrook Akine. <laughs> he was playing all of last year on seemingly in knee injury that didn't keep him off the field, but definitely kept him from being a hundred percent. Now, yeah, I, I don't know how much different hundred percent Nick Westbrook Akine is going to be on yeah, your well, team. We, it's not much better, but um, however, better. that it, it's just food for thought to say that this guy was still able to be out there on the field despite that. Yeah. I, not a whole lot to say here besides I'm surprised that it's taken this long for us to have ever found that out. I wonder if it's, I've, I've talked to Jim at length about this. Some, there are cer certain things that he, no one here's an interesting thing you may not know about Jim Wyatt and his relationship with the Titans. He covers the Titans, but he's he's the team media guy, right? So he is not necessarily the propaganda arm of the Titans, but it is team friendly because he works for the team, right? So he's he's going to put the team in a more positive light and be probably a little bit less a little bit less um uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? A little bit more a little less critical of the team. Than, than the average sports writer would be, especially when things aren't going great. He's going to look for maybe some more silver linings or cover it more as a straight reporter and not give a whole lot of opinions. But I've talked to him about this. Like, how, Jim, how do you know what you can and can't say? You know, he has certain accesses that the rest of us don't have by nature of his position. He gets to do certain interviews that we don't get to do. It's not a whole lot of stuff, but he he's in the building every day, right? He's privy to some things that the rest of the media pool is not. So I've asked him, how do you know what you can and can't say? Like every time you want to say something that you've heard not in the regular media pool, do you have to run it up the chain of commands? Do you have to clear it with the media, the PR team? And he said, and maybe I'm guessing it wasn't always this way. He's been there for a long time now. He says he just kind of knows now what he can and can't run with. So this may be one of those things where he knew or maybe was explicitly told Hey, you know, it's January. I'm going to let you in on this information, but you like, let's not talk about it right now. We don't want to talk about it. We don't, if, we know the Titans, they don't love to talk about players injuries ever, ever. They, they don't, unless they are forced to, for the most part. 
or maybe it was something that we just now found out, but it is strange to me, JT, that we're just now finding this out and that it's something that he seemingly was dealing with all year, but it makes sense why the Titans were interested and Mike Vrabel was interested in bringing him back because that's the kind of player that Mike Vrabel is interested in keeping around this team right now. Frankly, he's got limited ability, but he's got the ultimate availability. And as the old saying goes, availability is the best ability. And that's something that this team clearly desperately is in need of as much as they possibly can get players that are not just good, but available to play week in and week out. And a guy like NWI pushing through an injury all year long, that has to win brownie points with a guy like Mike Vrabel. Let's move on here to a couple of the pro days that the Titans attended this week. Of course, Mm. the Titans were at the big ones today. Mike Vrabel being at Tennessee's pro day and then Rand Carthen being at his alma mater at the University of Florida. But the Titans were also in attendance at Maryland's pro day and had scouts in attendance for Mississippi State's pro day. They seem to be which if, if you don't haven't heard uh, what's important or who is coming out of the draft from these different schools. Who are the big prospects? The big prospects are mostly cornerbacks. So it's, it's interesting to see that they are paying a lot more attention to cornerbacks in this draft than people think they should be. Yeah. The only other, I think it is fair to point out that uh, Jalen Duncan is another player at Maryland that they absolutely could have been there looking at Duncan. Uh, I know he's a, a defensive player, but I forget. Is he a edge player? I'm not positive. I believe he's you... uh, on the interior of the defensive interior. line. Okay. Yeah. So he's a defensive lineman. Or no, sorry. Um, he's an offensive lineman. Oh, is he? I could have sworn yes. he's a defensive player. Okay. An offensive lineman, like a, a, a day two or three guy. So they absolutely, if it, there's another great reason why another offensive lineman, the Titans was, the Titans were probably there to see him, but there are, are two players from Maryland that are probably the I'm trying to think. I don't think there's, any other players besides these two that are as big besides Jalen Duncan, Steontae Banks and Jacorian Bennett, the the pair of cornerbacks that the Terps up there in Maryland have coming into the NFL draft this year. Deontay Banks is a probably first round guy. We I've talked about him at length. You know, he's one of my he's one of he's a my guy. Um, love Deontay Banks. And then Jacorian Bennett is another guy that can flat out fly. Crazy burner just doesn't have the big body that Deontay Banks has. I don't know where he is on the consensus board, but I'm imagining he's a day two or day three pick. All right. I know he's a day two or day three pick. Um, I'll say this. I think people are surprised. And I was at first two by the Titans paying so much attention, seemingly to the cornerback class this year. But when you think about it, it, it makes some sense. Now my initial reaction, JT, and I tweeted out this much is like when I'm reacting to the Titans paying so much attention to these top cornerbacks, as a like me as a person who wants the Titans to draft five consecutive offensive players in this draft, I like my reaction is please stop that. But also me as somebody who is a big enjoyer of Emmanuel Forbes, Deontay Banks, and Jacorian Bennett, my other reaction is oh cool. Um, so like that's at least they're paying attention to the good ones. I guess is the silver lining here because I approve of all three of those players in terms of this cornerback class. If they were at South Carolina watching Cam Smith, I'd be like no 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 stop stop doing that. I think folks need to really step back and look at the state of the Titans cornerback room. Who do they have right now? Because they have quite a few folks, right? They just added Sean Murphy bunting. They have Roger McCreary. They've got Christian Fulton, Caleb Farley, Trey Avery, Chris Jackson, um, Shaheem Carter is technically still on the team. So they, they, and Elijah Molden. So they've got eight guys 
And that seems to be, uh, in terms of the depth of this team, that is a team that is not very deep right now. They need depth at most every position. Cornerback is not one of them. And yet, I think when you look at these guys, you can you can reasonably, uh, beyond the surface level of they've got enough guys, they don't need new cornerbacks. I think you can reasonably forecast this team to need cornerbacks in the near future. And they may just be looking to go ahead and get ahead of that. Now, I know in the past, I and if you are an old enough listener to remember when James Foster was on the show this time last year, he would always talk about how if he was a GM, he would draft a cornerback or two or three every single year because you it's one of those positions. You just always need new cornerbacks. It's true. Teams draft new cornerbacks all the time. Typically, every single offseason, a team needs at least one new cornerback. It's just the nature of the position. But the guys the Titans currently have, how confident are you that Christian Fulton's going to be back after this this last season of of his rookie deal? I, I'm not. He he was one of the guys that was coming up in conversation when when Mike Vrabel was referencing folks that were dealing with injuries too often. I mean, he was a guy alongside David Long who was named by name by Vrabel in that infamous press conference in which he says we got to figure out for guys like Christian Fulton and like David Long, who are repeat offenders for soft tissue injuries, how to keep them on the field and how to get them to train better and figure out how to keep their bodies in shape better. Unless he has a stellar season in which he doesn't miss any games, which he hasn't had really so far in the NFL, I don't think they're going to want to sign him to a big contract extension. He seems like a early candidate to let walk in free agency. Caleb Farley, we don't have to talk about him. He's not a guy. I mean, he's all upside at this point. There's no, nobody is, nobody is mentally banking on him to be a a contributing factor in any way, shape or form. Shaheem Carter, eh, Chris Jackson, eh, Trey Avery, an undrafted free agent last year who showed flashes, but we don't know whether or not he can really develop into a guy you can rely on. Elijah Molden, another guy based on last year, you know, his first season as a Titan, he was one of, if not the healthiest guy on the team. And then last year, he barely played due to injuries. How is this season going to turn out? How is the next season going to turn out? There's a chance that he's another guy that is let go after the next two seasons. Sean Murphy, Sean Murphy Bunting's on a one-year, $5 million contract. There's nothing promised to him beyond this year. Didn't get hurt. So he's really maybe the only starting caliber guy you can bank on beyond this next year. If you really just look at it from that surface level, okay, the starters, Christian Fulton, Roger McCreary, Sean Murphy Bunting. Roger McCreary is the only guy that you have that you can assume will be back next year, I think, reasonably. I think the other two, more often than not, are gone, or more more likely than not, are gone. So for the Titans to be paying attention to these cornerbacks doesn't shock me at all, JT, when you kind of dig into the meat of their situation right now. And it wouldn't shock me at all if they use one of their six or so picks this year on a cornerback, I, I, we saw it last year. Folks weren't expecting the Titans to draft um, Roger McCreary in the second round, and they did. I would not shock me at all if this team does the exact same thing and, and goes and gets an even an early, you know, a day a day two round two round three pick they spend on a cornerback. That wouldn't shock me in the slightest. And you can at least take solace, Titans fans, in the fact that this year's cornerback class in the draft is certifiably very good, very very good. Uh, very deep, very good. I like them a lot. There's a lot to like. There's a million. Dif- it is Baskin Robbins of players. There's a flavor for everybody. Every different type of cornerback you could want is available in this draft. So if they want a certain guy, they're going to go get a certain guy. 
And um, that that's the positive thing. But it, I think you should be buckling up for the chance that the Titans might go tackle and then cornerback in their first two picks. Totally on the board. Would not rule it out at all. Finally, let's talk about the new NFL rule updates. Some of the most interesting ones that happened this week were that jersey numbers can now include the number zero. So guys like Calvin Ridley have come out and said that they uh, are going to be wearing the number zero. And also a petition to make roughing the passer reviewable. For a receiver. Yes. Uh, A petition to make roughing the passer reviewable was not passed. Your thoughts on a couple of these rule changes? Uh, the first one, zero, super cool, sick, love it, awesome. I would ask every single person on the internet asked that it, that covers a team asked Whoa, who's who who should wear number zero for the Titans, Titans fans. It was a very easy, low hanging fruit on that one for clicks. But I tweeted out, I would ask you who, but that number is already taken by a certain Georgia tight end that may or may not be drafted by the Titans in the second round if he's still there at forty one. A little Darnell Washington, he wore zero in college and he tweeted out when he saw this news a little emoji side eye he's excited about that so uh you you should hope titans fans the guy wearing zero is darnell washington in august as to the roughing the passer rule uh roughing the passer being reviewable being shot down aggressive double thumbs down from me hate it no it's pathetic it's pathetic that we're i mean listen i get it the refs and the league aren't wanting to repeat what we had a couple years ago because we saw Pass interference became such a contentious issue in the league that one offseason, we decided to make it reviewable. And then what did we see the following season? In sort of silent protest, we saw the referees practically refuse to ever overturn their original decision, even if upon review, it seemed like they should overturn their original decision with something that is so subjective, like roughing the passer or pass interference. Referees are going to stand firm, you'd imagine, and be a little hard-headed with their decision-making because they're not going to be a fan of having... They already take, you know, abuse in and out every single day, day in and day out, but they are not looking to add more to that by admitting to tens of thousands of folks on a Sunday in person, we were wrong. That seems backwards, I know, because usually that's the, the right thing to do to get the call right, and then folks don't hate you as much, you'd imagine. But they don't seem interested in going down that road again and doing this whole song and dance because we did it one year with pass interference. And then after that one year, they said, we got to st- never mind. It's not reviewable anymore. So I get why they didn't do it. But it's still pathetic because roughing the passer is something that I think can be made less subjective than pass interference. And I also think that it's something that I know that it's something that it's completely jumped the shark. Like everyone in the entire universe is in agreement. Even Roger Goodell, who won't say it to your face, but you know he's thinking it because he's not a moron. Even the refs, who won't say it to your face, but you know they're most of them aren't morons. I, I, I don't think anybody is in disagreement that pass, or excuse me, uh, roughing the passer has completely jumped the shark, has gotten completely out of hand. It has made the game way too soft. It has significantly impacted. I mean, sometimes games literally hinge on a single roughing the passer call. It has completely impacted games in a negative way and folks hate it. So it should be reviewable just to go through the whole litany of rules that were approved by the rules committee of which Mike Vrabel is a member of in Arizona at the owners meetings this week. There's really only a couple of these that that matter, but I'll read the whole list just for 
uh, us to cover all of our bases here. The rules that were approved in 2023 by Philadelphia Amendment Rule 5 or Men's Rule 5, Section 1, Article 2 to permit the use of zero, blah, 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 blah. By the Chargers uh, Amendment, blah, 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 to make the adjustment of the play clock following the instant replay reversal consistent with other timing rules. Houston got an amendment to expand the replay officials jurisdiction for allowing for a view on failed fourth down attempts. That's good. Giving the sky judge a little bit more room to operate. The competition committee put forth the rest of these and they approved changing the definition of launching to leaving one or both feet before it was just both feet um, to make the penalty for tripping a personal foul to make the penalty for illegal handling, handing the ball forward consistent with other illegal acts, such as an illegal forward pass to make the penalty for illegal punts, drop kicks, or place kick, place kicks consistent with other illegal acts, such as the illegal forward pass, to prevent the offense from benefiting by an extension of the half as a result of their foul, which is a good one. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm surprised, I'm surprised we weren't exploiting that more, just fouling to give yourself one extra play at the end of the half. And then the last one, to clarify the use of helmet against an opponent by removing the butt, ram, and spear language from that verbiage, but ram and spear from the article and incorporating those actions into impermissible use of the helmet. I, I'll be honest. I don't even know what that means, but the important things are in there that the zero uh, is now wearable and the instant replay sky judge has more jurisdiction and you can't commit fouls to give yourself an extra play at the end of the half. So not a lot of breathtaking news there, but uh, at least one cool thing. And I'm, I'm wondering JT, what's the over-under on how many teams this first year have a guy wear number zero? Do you think it's half of them? Do you think it's more? I would say, well, I mean, we've seen one already. Um, we see a bunch of guys already moving you know around. One for sure. I, I there, there might be a couple guys coming out of college who want that opportunity to wear zero because it's new, it's fresh, it's a cool idea. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's a weird number, like. I mean, you could come in and say, I, I was the first player to ever wear the number zero for the Denver Broncos. You know, like exactly. that's sure. But like, I, I bet like every T team Higgins has one, I think like, it's going to be just the cool thing. T Higgins moved from like 85 to five. Can we, so. can we talk about his change? Real, can sure. we talk about that I mean, real quick? You're the resident it. Bengals fan. What What is your okay. opinion on T Higgins changing his number from 85 to five? <sighs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind it. I think 80, I mean, 85 is 85. I hate Cisco. it. How do you not mind it? it he's, he's a legend. Yeah, like, okay, fine. But he's got to like, be, I'm not saying you should, I mean, should, cool. Change from 85, but don't go to five. I, I mean, mean it, it feels wrong. Go to 84, it, 86. <laughs> I don't know. It's the, it's the, it's the nine to one to Let's five to the next connection one. right there, bud. It's, it's the, it's the single number, no, bud. Oh, yep. no, I hate it. I like it. I don't mind it. Hate it. Hate it. All right, well, that's that's it for our, our free agency roundup today. We'll get to the meat of the show now. Uh, I will just go ahead. I have no other things to say. I'll throw it to our interview here with Ryan Shumpert over at the UK Daily Beacon and uh, now with the UK. What is he covering Kentucky? No, the UT, formerly the UT Daily Beacon now with Rocky Top Insider. Ryan Shumpert, we're talking about the five big Tennessee prospects in this draft. Enjoy. All right, let's welcome into the Hot Read podcast a friend of mine for a long time now. It's Ryan Shumpert. He covers all things volunteer athletics for Rocky Top Insider. Ryan and I went to high school together. God bless and go Bruins. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing good, and I think you're shortchanging us a little bit. We, we went to elementary school together. It's true. Grew up in the true. same neighborhood, so 
Easton and I have known each other for a long time. Glad to, to collaborate and uh, do a little bit of NFL draft content here. Absolutely. And I figured today would be a good excuse to talk a little bit about these five main guys that the volunteers have coming out. They've got five guys within the consensus top 100 and uh, four of them are offensive players. So, of course, the Titans uh, should have and reportedly do have their eye on a handful of these guys. And so I wanted to just kind of talk about them each one at a time. You've covered them for a lot longer than I've been paying attention to them or anybody who covers or follows the NFL has been paying attention to them. So we're going to pick your brain just a little bit and get any insight we can from you on these guys. Let's kind of go backwards in terms of order of importance here. Let's start with the last guy on the uh, consensus inside the top 100. It's Byron Young. He's the lone defender coming out of Tennessee this year that is getting a lot of draft buzz. And he is the 99th ranked uh, prospect on the consensus draft board, a third round pick. Tell me a little bit about Byron and uh, what you think his game might mean at the NFL level. Well, he has a, a fantastic story and certainly kind of a crazy one. He didn't really have any offers coming out of high school. He ended up going to this prep school in Georgia that was essentially a Bishop Sycamore situation. Like, okay. it wasn't it wasn't a school. Like, not a real school. Got it. Not a real school. And so he played like three or four games there. And this, since it wasn't a real school, the, pro, the program folded. They didn't even finish out the season. Unbelievable. But that was enough to get some stuff on tape. Uh, he ends up going to a junior college and then gets to Tennessee. The whole Bishop Sycamore situation actually – it cost him getting cleared. Uh, so he had to, he's had to sit out his first two games at Tennessee back in the 2021 season. Mm. Uh, but from the moment he got on Tennessee's campus before that, it was and granted the program was in pretty desperate shape right there when Josh Heifel was taken over, but it was like first spring practice. He's one of Tennessee's best defenders. He's going to start a defensive end and he's really just an athletic freak as the numbers he posted at the combine. Certainly I think the 40 yard dash stands out, but he put up really good numbers and basically all those drills and is an athletic freak. I think where the shortcoming is, is he doesn't have a whole lot of versatility in his moves and his ability to rush the passer. Yeah. You go back and look at what he did last season. He ends up, he leads Tennessee uh, on the season in sacks, but really tell the whole story. He got two basically massive sack games. He dominated LSU, who had their starting left tackle out, and yep, uh, that, that a, a guy that was just. That was his top-rated PFF game last year by far. I'm looking at right here. He had a, a monster game that game. Yes, yeah, so essentially against someone that was just overmatched with his athleticism. Mm. And then he was great again against Kentucky. And anybody yep. that studied Will Levis this year knows Kentucky's offensive line was really bad. So from a production standpoint, he wasn't a top 100 guy at Tennessee the last season. But he has the athleticism. And you look at the fact that he is, relatively speaking, new to high school. He didn't start playing until – later or new to football he didn't start playing till later in right. his high school tenure he was just at Tennessee for two years so he's still very raw his ceiling is very very high and I think that's what anyone that drafts him is drafting looking to cash in on that high ceiling and certainly as elite athleticism yeah you'd have to imagine it's a, a trace a, a traits based draft decision because like you said he doesn't quite have the size you'd be looking for he's in the teens for percentile of height weight arm length hand size all of that but athletically He's in the 90s for 40-yard dash, vertical jump, broad jump. Dude, he's got some some burst to him. So I'd imagine a team would be drafting him, hoping that they could just tap into those traits and see if they could get uh, an athletic guy to, to refine his skill set a little bit. We can move on because 
you know, as the lone defender, the Titans are probably paying a little bit less attention to him. But these next four guys, the Titans certainly are paying a whole lot of attention to. Let's let's tackle the wide receivers real quick. The, the big two guys, Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. Not exactly the order you would be guessing they'd be talked about a year ago. Uh, if we had had this conversation then because of the year that Tillman had dealing with injuries and then Jalen Hyatt kind of breaking out. Tell me this. If I had to talk to you about these two a year ago, where would you have guessed Jalen Hyatt would be going in the draft? I'm not sure I would have known Jalen Hyatt would even be in the draft. If we're being okay, honest. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. You thought he might come back for another year. And it's yeah. funny. It's real. It's like the Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, snap. Cause uh, when uh, Heifel got to Tennessee, it was Hyatt who had had a big freshman year and mm -hmm. had impressed against Alabama beat Patrick Sertain deep twice in the game where, you know, Tennessee got killed against a really good Alabama team. And he didn't live up to his potential the first year. And Cedric Tillman, comes out of nowhere, had eight catches his first three years at Tennessee, and then blows up for a 1,000-yard senior season in 2021. So, you know, I would have probably thought going into the year, Hyatt, if he's in the draft, probably a mid-round guy, and Tillman would have a chance to be first round. I don't know if I would have said he would have been a first rounder because his speed I, I knew would be something that would hold him back. He wasn't going to post great numbers there. So uh, it, it definitely has flipped. Um, and it'll really honestly be very interesting to see how these two guys do in the pros, just because you mentioned that Tillman's injuries and Hyatt really just one big year of production. I want to talk about Tillman first because he's one of the most fascinating members of this wide receiver draft class to me. It is a class that is largely a bunch of shrimp, and he is one of the lone big bodied guys that's available I, I do wonder if he's somebody that might be falling into that category of you didn't get to see him a whole lot his last year in college. So he's being undervalued a little bit. I know that there's some injury concern there, of course. And then I do think that a lot of a lot of evaluators at the NFL level are correctly assuming his game probably works better as a wide receiver two in the NFL than as a true one. But man, when I look at him, I mean, the comp that keeps coming to mind whenever I study his tape is like a Michael Gallup. Um, pre-injury kind of kind of situation at 6'3", 213. He, he's got a really nice wingspan. He's got a perfectly fine 40-yard dash. I mean, I, I don't really have any concerns with his his burst or athleticism. I, I'm, I'm struggling to see what exactly teams wouldn't like about this guy, and I, I feel like somebody's going to come away with a really nice piece on day two that may be a little bit of a steal. Yeah, I think that's a good comp with Gallup. And I think the thing that's just going to be interesting, and I think all these NFL people are a little hesitant with with Tennessee receivers, is just how much of it is the system, how much of it is Absolutely. the tempo that's getting guys, how much of it is, you know, to simplify the route trees, how much does that hold guys back, especially a guy like Tillman who doesn't have the speed of a Hyatt or just the one trait mm -hmm. you can point to and say, yeah, this is going to translate. You know, it's, it's such really a good. tricky system to, I mean, trying to compare the apples and oranges of this tennis. It's one of the least pro friendly systems and it works really well for college, but it makes the evaluation pretty difficult. It really does. And I think obviously there's been a few guys that he coached at central Florida and Gabe Davis is a, is a perfect example of that mm -hmm. is a guy who's done really well, but it kind of feels like you're going to need to see some of these Tennessee guys have a lot of success in the NFL at receiver to ease some of those concerns. So I think that's a big thing right now. To me with Tillman, what's so impressive with him is just his catch radius. He yeah. 
can go out and get so many different balls. And he's not just like an elite high pointer like Josh Palmer. That's when him coming out of Tennessee, he said he's an elite high yep. high pointing the ball. And Tillman's good there, but he just does so many different things well with he, how he can catch the ball at different areas. And uh, I think that to me is what stands out the most. Yesterday uh, was Tennessee's pro day, and he a lot of balls that he, were not good throws. And they were certainly catchable because he caught them. But he made a lot of impressive catches, and I think that's the thing that really stands out with him. And uh, I think, to me, what would hold me back is that route tree. Tennessee run has such a simplistic route trees, especially for their outside receivers. The slot, I think it's a little bit different. It gets a little bit more diverse. But when you don't have that speed, so much of what Tillman is doing is comeback routes and fly routes, and he's certainly mastered that. Uh, I think what else he can do and how else he can run routes at a high level, which I do think he's a pretty crisp route runner, probably crisper than Jalen Hyatt. It isn't crisper than most people think, mm-hmm. but I think that's kind of the question mark surrounding him. Well, let's talk about Hyatt because if Tillman is a difficult one to try to compare his college game to what you think he's going to look like in the NFL, man, Jalen Hyatt is a tough one because he's used in such a unique way. And there's a lot of concern over whether or not he's a little bit of a one trick pony. Um, you know, a, a guy of that size, you're always looking for that burner ability. You're looking for their ability to win on their route running and just outrun guys. And certainly we saw that uh, quite a bit from Hyatt, uh, in, in college, but smaller guy, a little bit more concerning in that way. Of course, the, the Bolitnikoff winner this past year. So he's among the best wide receiver talent in the entire, in the entire draft class. But I think there's a reason why he's not being, projected to go in that first round like the very top guys are there's some limitations to his game what what do you think he might look like at the NFL level I, I'm with you and I I kind of agree with the the people who have their doubts and their questions to me he mm-hmm. is a, a late first round pick at the highest and a second round pick and uh look his hands I don't think are they're not a huge issue but drops are something that has plagued him maybe a little bit over dramatic word but it's shown up it, it isn't you know, it's not a it's a narrative for a reason. He has had some drop issues at Tennessee that yep. continued at the combine. It continued yesterday at Pro Day where he, he was crisper mm. than he was at the combine, but he still did have some drops. And uh, I think uh, the route running again is, is something that a lot of it is just you don't know because Tennessee doesn't run a, a super diverse route tree like we just talked about with Tillman. But I, I don't think he's as crisp as a route runner as Tillman is. I think there are some question marks there. And I think the thing that really gets you is you mentioned with the slot receivers. You want that, take the top off the defense speed, and certainly Hyatt has that, and certainly he does that at a really high level, and that would keep him from falling out of the second round, just that and that alone. Yep. The other thing you look for with those slot receivers is their ability to make guys miss and be really good with the ball in their hands. Hyatt's not really that. He's really fast. He can run past you with the ball, but he's but not he, he lacks creativity after for sure. When he, I mean, he's not the kind of guy that's going to be the yak king. That's not his game. No, it really isn't. And you go back and look to – the 2021 season in the slot for Tennessee, Bayless Jones Jr. started over him. Bayless Jones Jr., yep. fantastic with the ball in his hands. That's what he's excelled at. And you go totally back to Squirrel, Squirrel White, who will be the guy this year in the slot for Tennessee, is kind of in between. He is What like, an awesome name, by the way. That's uh, so fun. Yeah. All-American name. I mean, you knew yeah, it really is. The first all-pro name, for sure. <laughs> and he, he has that take the top off the speed that Hyatt does, but he's a lot more elusive with the ball in his hands too. So I think that's mm-hmm. kind of the area that it's probably easy to think that Hyatt with that speed is probably really good with the ball in his hands, but the tape, he really isn't. He's 
if you, he can maybe run past you if he has the angle, but he's not going to run around you. He's not going to be shifty. He's not going to run through you. So those are kind of the question marks with him and what you know he does well, the bread and butter is the speed, and it certainly is really, really good. Lives up to the hype there. Well, the rub when you're trying to to figure out what his game in the NFL might be is is just that element of is he the burner or is he the slot slot guy? Because in in his last season with Tennessee, I'm looking his his total pass snaps, 371 of his 425 snaps were taken at the slot, and yet he's billed as this burner, this guy that can take the top off. So is he going to come into the NFL and our team's going to want to try to use him on the outside in that way? Or are they going to line him up at the slot and try to get him, you know, across the middle and, and, you know, underneath routes that you see more often from slot receivers. I just don't know with, with a guy like this, who's I believe just at six foot and a, a buck 75. It's, it's a difficult, it, it is, it is less simple in my mind to visualize the projected projection for him in the NFL as compared to a guy like a JSN, who's more a true slot guy, speed's not his game. Um, uh, you know, uh, some of the bigger bodied guys who may be the true X receivers in the NFL. I just don't know where you slot Tillman, or excuse me, uh, Hyatt in at the NFL level. Yeah, I think he's an outside guy. At least I think that's where he's going to have to start, just because yeah. I just don't because think Because that he speed has... is not his game, then what's his game? You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, exactly. that's the thing. That's the bread and butter. And... You know, he he really – you talk about uh, the amount of reps that he had were in the slot. Oh, most of them that weren't came in the Vanderbilt game this year when uh, Tennessee had some receiver injuries and he had to go slide outside and move Squirrel White uh, to start in the slot. And mm -hmm. it wasn't a huge game for him, largely because it was first, Joe Milton's first start and it was raining very hard and Vanderbilt mm. couldn't stop the run. So Tennessee was keeping things pretty basic. Oh, but I that, think was, he, that was a good game. That was a fun one. Good watch. Yeah, yeah it I think Tennessee attempted all like seven passes in the second half of that game, and they didn't. They probably need didn't need a single one, to be honest. With no, you. They, yeah. they didn't need a single one. Uh, but uh, to, that, to me, that's just where his game because that's the bread and butter. You know, he has the speed, and there are certainly question marks about how he's going to handle press coverage uh, outside. But I feel better about those questions given the speed than I do about him adjusting to being a true slot receiver and doing everything that that takes in the NFL. Now, we can't move on from the receivers if we're talking about the Titans without covering the topic of are these guys capable blockers? It's not a fun topic for many Titans fans. They don't like that this is a 1A, 1B question when it comes to the receiving <laughs> talent coming into Nashville, but it is. It is It is a reality. So um, you could imagine, based on the, the way we've been talking about Hyatt, his game, that, that ain't his game. Um, he's not. I mean, there were times that Tennessee was lining him up behind behind the quarterback i think to just avoid as much contact as possible um but is till i mean tillman i'm imagining with his size he's probably a more capable blocker yeah tillman's a really good blocker he's he's more than capable he that is an area and that's kind of why you see the tennessee high to high at, at times but that's an area that's a big point of emphasis in tennessee's offense with the receivers blocking not to the level that it is with the titans offense yeah, yeah. but it is a big one and, and Certainly Tillman and Brew McCoy, who, who's back at Tennessee for his senior season, are two guys who are really good at that. And, and Tillman excels there and would more than fit in in Nashville. All right. Last guy we got to talk about here, and we've saved the best for last. It's Hendon Hooker. Was the the guy that was being looked at all year long during the college season to potentially win the Heisman. Unfortunately, his season came to an end in a way that nobody wanted it to. And so he's been rehabbing 
his uh, his knee injury from the end of the year. Uh, based on the timing of that, there's you know an almost certain chance that he is not going to be playing it for an NFL team in any meaningful way in the 2023 season. But and especially in the past week or so, there's been quite a bit of talk revolving around where would we be talking about Hendon Hooker going in this draft had he finished out the year and been a Heisman finalist and be healthy for the combine and offseason process. I don't know how much I buy into the recent hype around him. Um, you know, it's it's a relative game this time of year talking about whether you're high or low on somebody because it's it's all dependent on what the consensus is, right? There are some guys that I really like who I am technically lower on because I think that they're a third round pick and some are talking about them in the late first, whereas there are guys that I don't love that I would technically be higher on because the public hates them even more than I do. With Hooker, I thought that he was a guy that I was higher on than most until 10 seconds ago, in which apparently he's a maybe top 10 pick, according to some <laughs> morons on ESPN. And so morons is a strong word, but people <laughs> trying to trying to rile us up a little yeah. bit in the offseason, to say the least. Um, what are your thoughts on Hooker from maybe a 10,000 foot view? We can talk about some of the, the details of his game, but just overall as a college quarterback and then what you think his NFL game might be because of, of all these guys trying to compare the apples to oranges of the college to NFL leap, he might be the most difficult. Well, I'll start by thanking ESPN because put him in a first round in a first round draft grade. That's just great, easy content for us. us I mean, to pump out over no, no complaining whatsoever. It is it is uh, oasis in the desert this time of year. It's really, and now I feel like I completely related to what you said there, where it's like. <laughs> Even during the season when he's putting up these great performances against LSU and Alabama, it's like consensus. He's like a third, fourth, fifth round pick. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty high on him. I see him, yeah. you know, maybe a second round, third round. I certainly don't see him in the top ten like we've seen this week. And I think we <laughs> no. texted about it a little bit where it's his ceiling it just isn't high enough to what anyone to take a first round pick on him. I see him as a guy with a Dak Prescott level ceiling. And yep. again, you said it right. He's a tough guy to judge for a lot of reasons. And probably the biggest one is the exact same thing we talked about uh, with the receivers is that Tennessee's offense is not NFL friendly. It's so different. And he got a little defensive about that in the combine. And I think he makes a good point. While it's not the exact same thing as the NFL, it's not an easy offense for a quarterback to be. In. You have to be very sharp mentally and on top of things to have Tennessee's offense running at a high level. And that's what he did just so incredibly well. All the little things. He was just so polished. He was just yep. so in tune with Josh Heupel all of last year. And that's why Tennessee's offense was as good as it was. And, you know, so many times going into the games last year, I saw uh, other coaches, defense coordinators, head coaches, or other media from other schools talk about, you just got to take away the big play with Tennessee. And you got to make him drive the ball down the field. And I said, that's maybe for Georgia, you know, who has all the athletes in the world, that's a good strategy. If you're Kentucky – or LSU, Tennessee's offense, because of Hendon Hooker, is plenty good to beat you driving the ball down the field in 10, 11, 12 plays. And Hendon Hooker was the reason why, because he was just so good at taking what the defense was there, and that made him an elite college quarterback. And I think while it's certainly going to be an adjustment, I think a lot of that skill set will be able to translate to the next level. Certainly there's questions about it. Certainly there's questions about uh, some of the throws that he just didn't have to make at Tennessee. Can he make those in the NFL? So there's a lot of questions with him but I start, certainly think there's reasons to think he can answer those questions positively. I just don't think that the ceiling is high enough for anyone to really take him in the first round. 
I think a Dak Prescott ceiling is is a fair comp, and that would would take you know the perfect storm situation as it kind of has taken for Dak. Yeah. But with Hooker, you can't talk about him without bringing up the topic of age, and I think it's it's unfair because too often when age is talked about um, in in Hooker conversations, it is brought up on just the one side of the coin that yeah, he turned twenty five in January. He's a lot older than the the guys you typically want coming out of college. But on the other side of the coin, we we see in his college career, he had a continuous year-on-year improvement every single year that is pretty easy to buy in. And if you ignore the age, you look at a guy like that, and if he was you know three or four years younger, that would be the kind of thing you'd look at and say, this guy's a student of the game. He's coachable. He's continuing to improve. He's not reached his peak. So with Hooker, do you do you think it was a matter of just being a late bloomer? Do you think it was a matter of his situation? Take me into your thoughts around why it is it took him so long to become this guy. That's a great question and one that I, I really don't know. You know, I, I've had that exact same thought for really 16 months now since it was clear in 2021 that he was playing at a really, really high level. Uh I don't necessarily think late bloomer. I think a lot of it was just a perfect storm in Tennessee's offense. And mm-hmm. he, some of it, you know, like you said, he did continue to get better every single year at Virginia Tech. But the jump from his last year at Virginia Tech and went to his first year at Tennessee was drastic. And it's astonishing. Won, yeah. It is, yeah, it, it really is. And there are things to look at and say, okay, it makes sense why at Virginia Tech he didn't have a great the last season. Obviously, he had the medical issue. He was in the hospital in the middle of the season. Didn't know if he was ever going to be able to play football again uh, with some medical complications after getting COVID. So that, you know, certainly explains some of the stuff. But it, it's hard for me to just say normal jump, normal jump, and, and ignore just how much it seemed like Tennessee's system helped him. And I don't say that to diminish what Hooker did at Tennessee because I don't think it's as simple as Josh Heifel. Look, we saw Joe Milton overthrow a lot of guys, a lot of wide open guys that Josh Heifel was able to get open. And all those things I, I just said a minute ago to Hendon Hooker was just so sharp with, you've got to give them plenty, plenty of credit for that. But to me, there it's just a question of how much of that will translate to the next level and how much of it was just a perfect storm uh, kind of for Hooker at Tennessee. And his skill set was able to play well into what Tennessee did. And Tennessee was able to kind of scheme their offense really perfectly to his, his skill set. Yeah. Man, Hooker, he's just a really difficult, he's a difficult evaluation because there's, there is plenty there to tempt some of these NFL front offices. And ultimately, I think that there will be enough for him to go earlier than many imagined he might go even with his injury. But uh, yeah, you, you just look at led the nation in, in EPA last year, 90 grade on PFF, gorgeous deep ball thrower. Obviously, before his ACL injury was a real threat to run the ball. Well, we'll see what that turns into his running ability when he's when he's back and healthy. But that gimmicky offense and his age and all of that makes it makes it a difficult evaluation. U- ultimately, what I'm what I'm expecting to happen is he'll be a luxury pick for a team that can sit on him and and be the kind of guy who might turn into. Um, a late bloomer in the NFL and and threatened to start. But I think at the very least might be a very, very, very high end backup quarterback and have a pretty fruitful career doing that at the NFL level. 
Um, we can move on to the last guy who I, I've buried the lead on a little bit, but we actually did save the best for last year because it is the the topic of the hour, the topic of the last two years, in my opinion, for the Titans. It's the offensive line. And the volunteers are putting forth a really, really talented offensive lineman into this draft class, a guy that I think people are just now starting to come around to the true value of. I remember talking with um, our buddy, friend of the show, James Foster, about him on a, a show we did very early in the draft season, talking about the most over and underrated guys coming in to this year's draft dialogue. And Darnell Wright was the kind of guy that he thought was being drastically underrated. It's taken a month and a half for us to come to uh, the realization as a community that this guy should absolutely be a first rounder. He's absolutely in the conversation with those top tackle prospects in this draft. A couple of of topics that I want to tackle with him, but but first I want to get your thoughts on him as a player. Tell me about getting to cover him, getting to know him a little bit at Tennessee and in his journey as he, you know, almost from what I understand, there was questions as to whether he'd be back this past year, and then he comes back or you know be back at the same level he he was playing at in twenty twenty one, and he comes back and does even better, and I think kind of surprised some people. No. Yeah, a little bit at least. I think the the sheer level that you played at did, and I'll try not to be too long winded here because all the other guys we talked about, the first four guys, I'm like, I got my question marks about Darnell Wright. I love. I have no question marks about <laughs> okay. Darnell Wright. And, and and Easton, you know, you know this from many conversations we've had. You know, I, I don't project a lot of the NFL stuff really well. You know, I I'm very much I go off of what I see in the college level and. I go back to the day of the South Carolina game before that monstrosity for the Tennessee football team. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking to somebody. I go, I don't understand how Darnell Wright's not a surefire first-round pick. I said, I love him more than any of these Tennessee guys that are going to be in the draft. Like, to me, he's a surefire first-rounder. Well, was just, well, don't he, sell yourself short here because maybe you don't have a great track record, but I think you're dead on with this one. We've got guys like Lewis Riddick, who are famously very good evaluators at the NFL yeah. level, tweeting out yesterday that he thinks this is the kind of guy who could come in and not just have an all rookie season, but have an all pro pro bowl level season as a rookie plug and play starter in his first year in the NFL. That is really high praise for a guy. It is. It's been, it's been gratifying to me to be like, okay, I, I might've gotten one, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking one. crazy pills. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of been like a slow burn of, there was a lot of buzz around the pro or around the, the senior bowl. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, this guy might go into first round and it's just continued on throughout the process. And, to me, what makes it, I think, why he's been such a late uh, bloomer, a guy that people caught on to late, is just his story. He, he's a big five-star recruit, comes to Tennessee, but public school in Huntington, West Virginia. He's not at IMG Academy, and he's not a guy that's in a weight room that's ready to go into the college game. But by mm. circumstances and by the situation he came into at Tennessee, he has to start as a freshman. Flashes, shows some potential, not great. Well, a sophomore year, and you're like, all right, this is a guy that needs a full season in the weight room. will be really good. Well, that's when COVID hits. Sends everybody home. He comes back in July. He shows up 35 pounds overweight. Does not play at a very high level his sophomore season. Really takes a step back from his freshman year. And so it's kind of you're starting to feel, is this guy a bust? He's not playing at a very high level. Josh Heibel gets here in 2021, his junior season. He moves to left tackle. You're starting to see it. He has a good season. You're starting to see the potential, and then he moves back to right tackle where he played his first two years this season, and it it caught it just caught fire. He completely played to his potential. He looked yeah, and then, like and then he stoned Anderson Jr. in a game, and then the rest is history, basically. Yeah, yeah. he went back to back weeks. He held Ojolari in check down at LSU. Was dominant in that game. I know there's there's one 
clip Lewis Riddick has tweeted out from that game where Wright jumps off his plant foot twice before even putting his right foot on the ground. And it's just, it's just freak stuff. And that's what he's got he a funny a- game, man. He sits back there and toys with his food. Sometimes he just looks like he's having a good time. When you watch the tape, he's a fun one to evaluate when it comes to linemen. He is. He, and he's just an absolute freak athlete. And I think you finally saw that at it's gear this season when he was had two full seasons in the off season was fully conditioned in the Tennessee offense that you better be extremely conditioned. If you're going to play at a high level oh, yeah. uh, on the offensive line, and the kind of the rest was history. I mean, the Will Anderson performance was was really to break out the way he shut him down. He didn't allow a single sack this season. He was a first-team All-SEC guy along the offensive line and really as good as any offensive lineman in the SEC. When I'm trying to figure out, the the and there's multiple reasons why he hadn't been talked about at the level he's now being talked about, I think part of it is is due to the reasons you laid out. I think part of it might have to do with his size, which we can talk about in a second. But I think another part of it may be the fact that, you know, the value of, of a guy at the tackle position in the draft is, you know, large part tied to where the NFL thinks they can play. Are they, um, you know, a versatile right-left tackle guy? Could we move him around? Or is this somebody that really is only going to work on one side? Of course, you mentioned he'd moved around a decent amount in college. Did he played both tackle positions? Did he ever play inside? Never. Well, I see that's not true. A little bit his freshman year, he played inside. Okay. He bounced back and forth his freshman year. Okay, and so then he then he moved to right tackle and then finished at left tackle. Correct. Yeah. Uh, another snip snap. He went right tackle. Flip. Left Thank tackle you. his junior year, and then back to right. Back tackle to right tackle. That's year. right. Yes, that's that's what I mean because uh, that that is that's the rub, folks in the NFL that I've talked to seem to think that he's a right side guy based on his college performance. Now, of course, you know, that could be due to the level of difficulty of the side for him. It also could be due to the fact that, like you mentioned, at left tackle, he came in overweight and had some issues there. And, and then at right tackle, he he's a senior. He's more experienced. He's, you know, in a, in a scheme with a team that is significantly better overall. So, you know, you'd imagine the rising tide lifts all boats in that respect. But uh, you know, the question here, I guess that I'm trying to get at is, do you think he's a, a guy versatile enough to play on either side of the ball? And then um, I guess the follow-up that, that we can talk about here in a second is does his size dictate maybe a move to the inside at the NFL level? I, I don't think so. I think he's a guy that can stick outside. And, and I don't I think either. He's a guy yeah. that, I think he's a guy that can play both sides, to be honest with you. Certainly he is more comfortable at right tackle and he, I don't think it was like a, a demand by any means or, a, oh, I have to be playing right tackle. But he, he wanted to play right tackle. And there certainly okay. was a higher comfort level for him there. But he played left tackle at, at a a pretty high level too his junior season. Not at, at the elite level he played his senior season at right tackle. But he was good on the left side. And I think there was a higher need for him to play left tackle that year for Tennessee too. So that was certainly a reason. They had more potential answers at left tackle this season, which allowed him to slide to the right side of the ball. But I think he's a guy that could play on either side. I certainly think he would be better off at right tackle, mm-hmm. but uh, I wouldn't let that hold anyone back from drafting him thinking he's, he's just going to be stuck at that right tackle spot and he can't have any sort of flexibility. Yeah. When I, when I consider him in terms of the Titans, you know, I, I think that 11 would be a little bit rich for my blood for a guy like that, especially considering that you know, maybe it's a different story. If, You've got Paris. If you've got the top two guys gone, Skaronsky and Johnson Jr., then maybe it's a different conversation. But 
he's the kind of guy that could be a prime trade down candidate. Obviously, I don't expect him to be there at 41 for the Titans, not even close. But if the Titans were to trade down and potentially be looking for some offensive line tackle help later in the first round, I would have absolutely no issues with them drafting him. The last thing that we can talk about, and you mentioned it a little bit there, is is his size. Just for reference, for those keeping track at home, he comes in at 6'5 and an eighth inches tall, which is 44th percentile. It's fine. 333 pounds, nearly the 90th percentile. Perfectly uh, acceptable, above average. It's his arm length that that causes worry with most. Of course, with the tackle position in the NFL, you're looking for that benchmark 34-inch arms, typically speaking. Just a hair under that 33 and three-fourths inches. Looking at mock draftable here, you know, the, the most accurate comparison that they have in their database since 1999 in terms of bodies, bodies type size and athleticism is a former Titan Roger Saffold, of course, a fantastic left guard. If the Titans were to consider right, um, there's been a lot of talk about, well, you know, if he, if they were to get him, maybe he'd come in and start at left tackle and you bump NPF inside. Maybe he comes in and competes for one of those guard positions. And if, you know, he outperforms one of the tackles, then he slides outside. There's there's a lot of different ways they could approach it. And I think there's a lot of different ways they're going to approach it. I'd imagine they're going to keep an open mind. It's going to be very much a competition-based situation. But uh, you know as well as I do, the, the two themes of the year for the Titans this offseason have been collaboration, and it's now become versatility. We're looking for guys yeah. that are versatile players. And so a guy like this who you can look at it as well, his body type kind of dictates that he may or may not be a tackle that reads to me like, well, this is the kind of guy that a team could use in a multiple, multiple different ways. There's, there's kind of a, a variety of ways you could deploy him. I think he could be a very, very above average guard. If you wanted him to be, I think he is also capable of based on his tape. I think there's, there's no doubt he's capable of playing tackle at the next level. Do you think that that he would be a, the kind of guy that would fit well with the Titans outside zone running scheme? We know that he's probably a little bit more talented as a pass blocker than a run blocker. But then again, that's the kind of guy that the Titans and Rand Carthen have been targeting this year because they can't pass block save their lives no. in recent seasons. So uh, maybe that's a decent change of pace. What are your thoughts on all of that and, and maybe his fit with the Titans? Yeah, I go back to the Rand quote from uh, maybe it was earlier this week or last week. The, the days run together once we get to March Madness. But yeah, he, he yeah. said, you always feel like you need another body along the offensive line. Like always. Every season I've been in. And, yep. and Wright is like a perfect guy to have with that because he does have, to me, a lot of versatility. And the the arm length is the question mark. And especially when you look at a guy like, you know, it's, we just talked about it, the matchup that got him on the spotlight against Will Anderson. Will Anderson's a guy that just wants to beat you with his power, and he wasn't going to do that, but I didn't really test the arm length as much, and it, it it never bit him in the college level, but obviously it's just, it's a different beast in the NFL, and it, if there's one question mark on him, that's it. But no, I do think he has uh, the versatility that would be great for the Titans, and uh, I think he's more than capable of a run or as a run blocker. You mentioned that pass blocking is where he's at his best, but he's no slouch in run blocking either. And I think he would fit well there. And, and to me, he is an interesting, uh, you know, where you look at where the Titans are drafting, it is an interesting spot because I, I think 11 is high for him. You know, I had a dream for a while, like back before he blew up these last couple of weeks, they're like, it, maybe he's going to stay in the second round. The Titans can get him. Oh, yeah. Be a, I, can you yeah. imagine getting him at 41 would have been a highway robbery? Yeah. That was People the one thing that was 
But that was the one thing that was good when I felt like I was on crazy pills with him. I was oh, like, yeah, if yeah. he wants to fall to the second round and Titans get him, I'm just going to be over the moon ecstatic. Have at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, that's not going to happen. And at the same time, unless there's two guys that I think are the consensus top two go ahead of him, there's really no way he's going to go uh, in top 15, I wouldn't think. So, uh, yeah, a trade down candidate, uh, I think, would make sense for the Titans. But it is going to be interesting to see where he goes because to me, he feels of all of the Tennessee guys we talked about, the most like consensus of where I feel like he's going to go, which is somewhere in the back half of the first round. Uh, yeah. I have a hard time seeing him going higher than that. And I have a really, really hard time seeing him falling in the second round. Ryan, plug what you got going on right now. What are we working on? Yeah. So uh, everything over at RockyTopInsider.com at RockyTopInsider on Twitter, you can find all our stuff and busy time. Uh, obviously Tennessee basketball oh, yeah. run ends, but as it is with college football, college basketball, the season ends, boom, it's transfer portal time. And they had a guy jump in uh, yesterday. They're after a handful of guys right now. So we have you up to date with all of that. Tennessee baseball in full swing of the season. Uh, none of us down in Baton Rouge this weekend should be the last series we're, we're not represented at. But we have plenty of remote coverage on the site. And then uh, round it out. You feel like things are going to slow down when basketball season ends. Boom, spring practice. So uh, the Vols are in full swing there. Uh, we've had plenty of content on that uh, spring practice number six tomorrow morning. First scrimmage uh, of the spring for the Vols. Josh Heifel will meet with the media after that. We'll have tons of content from that. And then uh, the rest of the spring as we get into the spring or get into the spring game, the orange and white game on what I believe is April 15th, two, two Saturdays or three Saturdays from now, two weeks mm -hmm. from tomorrow uh, is that. So plenty of content uh, on all three big sports is uh, it's plenty to talk about in this springtime. Yeah, man, I, I envy you this time of year. You guys in college, you've got it made where you've got each sport back to back to back. No such thing as an offseason, no days off. Uh, this has been awesome, man. It's It's been really great getting to talk about these guys. And I know that we've got a lot of Tennessee fans that, that watch the show, listen to the show. So this is a perfect time for a little crossover. And it's nice to have a year where every Nashville sports radio uh, station and, and uh, media member doesn't have to talk about the Tennessee guys out of necessity, but gets to talk about them because they got some really good players in this draft. Um, so it's, it's super exciting this time of year and I appreciate you coming on and giving us a little bit of your time. Yeah, no, I appreciate having me on. It was a ton of fun. We'll have to do it again. Uh, maybe oh, yeah. if, if the Titans draft one of the balls or at the very least next year, you go. you're right. For a long time, uh, the national media had to kind of push some narrative with some Tennessee guys for, to make some content when there, there wasn't right. a whole lot there. Certainly, uh, this year, I think is uh, tell me a major about Theo Jackson. The right we, it's no, we don't have to talk about the sixth and seventh round guys anymore. We could talk about these studs. Yeah, no, I would always laugh at the Titans and, and Jim Wyatt were always fantastic of writing a write up on like six Tennessee guys that were going to go on the final day of the draft. How do they fit with the Titans? Well, uh huh. Like, well, you're kind of pushing things a little bit here if you're looking for uh, hoping they're really going to help the Titans, but uh, it seems like certainly Josh Heifel is change that tune and certainly this season that's the case a lot of guys going to go in in the first couple rounds he's ryan shumpert check out all his work at rocky top insider they're doing awesome stuff and if you are a fan at all of the volunteers they're your source for all things volunteer sports ryan it's been a pleasure like you said we'll have to have you on again soon and it's been good to catch up with you bud yeah thanks so much for having me on easton all right we got to the end of the week and we got to the end of this show little bit scatterbrained early in the show, but really great conversation with Ryan. Hope you guys got some insight. Uh, I know that I certainly learned a thing or two from him and him getting to, you know, he he covered these guys in person for their entire college career. So it's always good to, get to talk to the guys who covered them first.
um, especially when a guy like me may be covering them in the, in the near future. We don't know what the Titans may or may not do in the draft. There's a handful of these guys that I think they apps. I mean, you know me, I, I think that, I think that Tillman would be an awesome day two ad. And I think that a, a guy, uh, a guy like um, Darnell Wright could be a fantastic lineman uh, in the Titan system. So I think that they've got some guys, the Titans should be eyeing for sure. And the Titans could be adding them in just a couple of weeks. That's going to do it for today. But before we go, JT, we got another review. Thank you guys so much for reviewing the show. As we ask each and every show, this is the first time I think we've had back-to-back shows where we've had reviews to talk about, but we got a review from my man, Paul Baki, who I actually had talked to via text. He took advantage of my phone number that I did give out in a previous show. And if you want it, you're going to have to go digging for it. I'm not telling you where it is. Uh, but it's out there. It's at the end of one of the shows recently. And if you want to text me and apply to be one of the horsemen of the hot read apocalypse, you can be. Our, our application window has extended because of higher demand. And we want to make sure we get everybody in so that we can consider all of your resumes. But the review is titled Fourth Horseman Review. I like that he's just claimed it. I, I love that. Love the, the confidence, Paul. He says, I've been listening to the hot read since day one of the Titans 10. This guy's got brownie points already. He says, I love the in-depth, rational, non-overreactive analysis, along with the lighthearted sense of humor from Easton and JT. As a licensed counselor, I see the pitfalls of reactionary thinking and behavior based on limited information, and I am tasked with helping people see things and react to life more comprehensively, as opposed to reacting to the strongest emotions within them. Easton lays out a thorough view of the Titans activities that helps me think through personnel and coaching moves based on how it all fits together rather than one variable feeling variable or feeling in a single moment. Bravo and keep it coming. Paul Baki, Huntsville, Alabama, AKA the fourth horseman. Whoo. You better come with a strong resume. If you want to take Paul's spot, because that was fantastic. JT, we have clinical psychologists literally saying that this show is better for your mental health than other shows. Not my words, not my words, board certified mental health professionals saying that if you want to, to raise your level of thinking, you know, the memes it's, it's, it's the guy like the, the, the like brainy guy and then the brainier guy and then the even brainier guy. Like we're the biggest brain show out there. It sounds like if you, if you want to become smarter, more rational, more more grown up frankly there's a lot of very childish sports fans out there if you want to be an adult about things the professionals it, you know what nine out of ten dentists recommend this toothpaste 100 percent of clinical psychologists to watch this show board certified counselors 100 percent of them approve of our messages so i'll leave that at that we've gotten a handful of, of folks i know that jacob saying okc titan paul baki uh logan on twitter Brown Boy Travels, Viking Dad underscore four, Jimmy Fleming. All of you have submitted your resumes. We are we are coming through them with with great um, anticipation for our announcement. Probably next Wednesday, JT. We'll probably be announcing who the horsemen of the show are. Having that may a be a, a that may be a, a, maybe. We'll a position that comes. It may that position may come with special perks, maybe special access to group chats, maybe special maybe maybe <laughs> special events, maybe. We'll go get it. Maybe we'll, we'll we'll be willing to go get a drink with you if you're in town. I mean, listen, the the, the possibilities are endless. You, my point is, you want to be a horseman. Clearly, JT, you, you right, you you want to be a horseman of this show. I think so. I think that yeah. I I don't see why you wouldn't. It's it's a perfect gig. Yeah. If I if I wasn't if I wasn't the host, I would I would apply. 
So yeah, do that. And uh, the best way to apply, I'll say right now, is to do it the way that Paul did. You can text me, but even better, leave us a review. We would love to keep the reviews rolling. It is so super, super, super kind of you guys to leave these kind words. Even if you don't mean them, leave them. Just, you know, like I, like I famously said in our last episode, I like getting my butt kissed a little bit, which was the worst choice of words. I do, however, like a little kiss up every once in a while. And who doesn't? You're lying if you say that you don't. So go wherever you get your podcast, scroll down to the bottom, fifth star, give us all five, and then leave a written review of whatever you'd like. And we promise whatever it is, no matter how crazy, we will read it out on the show. If you leave your Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever handles, we will shout it out, get people to follow you, throw you a follow. Um, I know that we promised to follow to the last guy. I don't think we followed through on that yet, but I'm going now that I'm remembering it, we're going to right now, I promise. And uh, that's going to be it for today, JT. So appreciate you. Appreciate our listeners. Appreciate this time of year because I am super excited just to preview next week. We're going to start diving into the NFL draft. I know that you and I have started putting together our top 10 boards for each position. We'll be going through those an episode at a time. I'm very excited to talk about maybe some hot takes. I've already got a couple of guys that are not the consensus man do i have cedric tillman over jalen hyatt i don't know we'll have to find out it's a possibility we will see until then i'm your host easton freeze he's jt producer jt he's the best you're the best have a great weekend and we'll talk to you again monday morning this has been the hot read podcast